Last week we also did something that we began last year. We call it the Easter survey. And on that Easter survey we asked the question um, and we gave you an opportunity to tell us what it is that stresses you out. What are the, what are the top stressors in your life? And, and really, there wasn't anything that was surprising to us. No, nothing that kind of caught us off guard. In fact, your top choices and top responses match the top responses of the American Psychological Association's top responses. I mean, they're pretty much the same. So here's what, here's what it did. It confirmed for us what, what the researchers already told us. And that is, people are stressed. Can I get an amen? People are stressed. And, and people are stressed over their jobs right now. Uh, there, there's this, and I think that this stress is at an all-time high because everybody is working differently than they were six weeks ago. Everything has changed. And so it's at an all-time high where people are working from home or maybe you've lost your job and you have this work stress that you don't have a job right now because you're furlough, furloughed or you're, you're unemployed or or something else, or maybe you're afraid that you might lose your job, right? There's that work stress that we all carry, every one of us, because we, we spend somewhere between 8 to 12 hours a day on the job. So we're there nearly half of our life, right? Now, there's some of you, you hate your job so much that what you would really love to do is just tell your boss, take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. All right, but you know if you told your boss that, yeah, he, he, he'd let you go, right? So you, you need that job. You need that job. So you can't tell him that, but you would like to. Well, then, then there's work stress, but there's also stress from personal relationships. And I'm laughing because I'm thinking about how life would just be so much better if it wasn't for people sometimes, you know? Like, it's relationships. It's one of those things that stresses us out sometimes is the, is the people that we have to deal with and, and, and the people that we come across and it can be stressful. Uh, the, the next stressful thing on the list was, uh, it was parenting. You guys said, hey, parenting is tough. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm sympathizing with you today. It is tough. You can go to college to get a degree in anything. But they don't, they don't have a, a degree path for parenting. Come on, somebody. Like, there's no owner, owner's manual for parenting. There is no handbook for how to raise kids. It, it doesn't exist, right? So the reason why we're doing this brand new series called Stress Out, okay, we're not talking stress management. We're, we're saying we want to get the stress out of our life. Come on, somebody. You with me? Let's get the stress out of our life. The reason we're doing that is because we just got some stress. Now, your number one answer on the survey last week, the number one thing you said that stresses you out, nearly 70% of you put it on your list. The number one thing was financial preparedness, fi financial um, 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 issues, personal finances. That was your number one, that was your number one stressor. So today we're going to tackle that. And I want to let you know, just want to start out and let you know that everybody has financial issues. Come on, everybody has financial stress. If you're thinking to yourself right now, man, if I just had more money, then all my financial stress would go away. I, I would like for you to ask somebody who has more money than you if all their financial stress has gone away. And I promise you, they just have financial stress on a different level. Come on. Everybody's got financial stress. This message today is not a message on giving. It's not a message about raising funds. It's not a message, nothing like that. We're not, even, we're not talking about that. But, but here's what I want to say, is that in the middle of this pandemic, I feel a weight on me as your pastor. I feel a responsibility to teach you God's way of doing finances. It's your number one stressor. I, I've got to tell you a little bit about that. I've got to tell you what God's Word says about this. And you guys know, if you've been to City Hope for a while, you know we don't do special offerings. We do one special offering a year. We've never asked you as a church for one dime. We've, all we ever say is that we ask you to ask God what He wants you to do, and you obey that. That's, that's the way we do offerings and generosity here. We've always done that, and, and Lord willing, we'll always be able to do that. But here's what I believe is that people are not stingy. I just think people are strapped. They can't do what God wants them to do. They can't live the life God wants them to live 
Not because they're stingy, but because they're strapped. We're not managing our finances well. Um, Statistics tell us that most Americans are living at an unsustainable rate right now. Most Americans, the average American is spending 117% of their income. Did you hear that? Most Americans are spending 117% of your... I, I don't know if... I mean, I'm not a math magician. Come on, somebody. I, I, I meant to say magician. I'm not a math magician, right? I can't pull numbers out of a hat. I'm not a, I'm not a math guy, but I know you can't, that's not sustainable. And most Americans are there. So what this message is about today is helping you get out of a black hole. Come on, helping you get out of a financial black hole if you're in one, and to help you stay out of one if you're not in one. Come on, that's what the message of this is all about today, just to help us stay on the right track. So, why do we end up in financial stress? Why does it seem to to end up there? And we're going to answer that question today. So, uh, first I want to take a look at our theme verse. It's found in Luke chapter 21, verse 34. And, and Jesus says here, he says, hey, guys, I want you to be careful. Be on the lookout. Be on your guard. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. See, I think that's what's happening to us right now. We're, our, our jobs are at stake. Our, our, the school systems are closed right now. You, it, it, it's, it's hard to live a normal life right now. It's, we're, we're weighed down. And he says, don't give in to the carousing, to the drunkenness. And, and that's not just talking about alcohol. That could be anything that, that sets itself above God. It could be anything. And be careful or your hearts are going to be weighed down with anxieties of life. With financial press, pressures and financial issues that come up. And, and that day, what day? Well, the, 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 the day of anxieties of life. That day will close on you suddenly like a trap i mean just out of nowhere it's it's going to come down on you and and i think one way to one one way to look at that is to just say man how did how did i get here that's the way you're going to feel it's like how did i end up in this spot how did i end up, how did i end up here in this place of of frustration and 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 weariness how did i end up here weighed down by the anxieties of life it's going to come like a trap all right So here's the good news. The good news is that the Bible has a lot to say about money and finances. I don't know if you know it or not, but Jesus, he talked as much about money and finances as he did anything else in the scripture. He didn't shy away from talking about it. And so what I want to do today is I want to show you a famous story, a parable in scripture that Jesus Jesus was using it to illustrate a lost son. And we've never really equated this, this story with money, but today I want to. Today I want to show you how, how this young man, he's stressed out, and how we do the same thing, all right? So take a look with me at Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 12. It says that Jesus continued. He, he's telling this story, a parable. And he says, there was a man who had two sons, the younger. All right, hold up right there. And I, I don't want to pick on young people right now, but I, I'm go, I guess I'm going to, right? I'm going to pick on some young people, even though I said I wasn't going to, I'm, I'm going to, all right? I'm just going to. I'm going to pick on some young people because I think we're raising, we're in, we're, we have a generation of younger people who want what everybody else has. They want what their parents have worked decades for. They want what somebody who has a full-time job working 40 hours a week has, and, and the younger brother said to his father, G- give me my share. Hey, we're, we're raising a younger generation who says, give me, give me, give me, give me. I, I want, let me have, give me. And he says, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. I, I, I just find this interesting. He, he says, the younger says, Give me, give me what you owe me. And, and now, what you might not understand is in this day, the father would always split the inheritance between the, the, the firstborn and then all the other sons would get something. Now, the firstborn, he always got more than everybody else because it would be his responsibility to take care of the rest of the family. So, the younger is coming up saying, I, 
Dad, I want, I want what you owe me. I want it. Come on. I, I, I'm ready for it. And here's, here's how we're stressed out. We're stressed out when we're consumed with having more. Dad, I want it now. Dad, I, I want more. I'm not satisfied. I'm not okay with just having the status quo. I want more. And we get stressed out when we, when we want more. Now, I remember being a younger, okay, 20-year-old. We were just talking about how that younger son demands his father give him the inheritance. I made, I've made a lot of foolish mistakes over the years, guys. I, I've, I made a lot of them in my 20s when I, was a, when I was younger, right? And I've made some foolish mistakes since then, too. But I remember... Um, when my dad died, I was seven years old. Well, after dad died, because he paid into Social Security, my mom started getting a check for all of us boys, right? It was the Social Security benefit, death benefit, that, that she got for all of us. And, and so we got that for, until we turned 18 years old. When I, when I turned 13 or 14, she started giving me the entire check, the entire amount. Man, I was rolling in the dough, y'all. I, man, I, I was, I was, I had bling. No, I didn't really. I didn't. But I mean, I was, I was rolling for a 13 or 14 year old. I didn't have. I had some resources coming in, and I bought my first car when I was 15. I bought a 91, woo, a 91 Toyota Corolla. Man, that thing was burgundy. Had a sports bra on the front. My brother put in, a, put in some speakers in the back. Got the amplifier with a couple 12s. Man, I was just. It was awesome. And, and st- until it started breaking down, all right? I get to my senior year, and I'm like, man, I'm not, I'm not going to be driving a clunker. So what did I do? I drove that bad boy up to Knoxville, Tennessee, and I traded it in for a brand new 2001 Nissan Xterra. If I'm lying, I'm dying. There's not an 18-year-old on the planet who, who, who needs to have that, right? But I had it. Man, I, I had it. I, I bought it. It was brand new. Man, I was, I was rolling. I was rolling. I was in style, right? And, and anybody with... Uh, here's, here's, the, here's the deal. I, I, it was the worst decision I could have made. Why? Because that check was figuring to run out. I mean, I didn't have it forever. It wasn't going to be there forever. But I was banking on Uncle Sam sending that uh, Social Security check every month. And, and anyone with sense knew... That's a, just a dumb decision, Ben. That's bonehead decision. So I, I graduated high school. I went to college. I struggled to make that payment all the way through college. I got married to Annalise. We had that car for a little bit, but she couldn't drive it because it's a stick shift. Man, it was one of those, it was five speed. She couldn't drive it. She, 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 couldn't, she couldn't handle it, right? And, and so we decided we're going to trade this bad boy in. Now it's it's a few thousand dollars away from being paid off now. We're married. She's got a vehicle. I've got a vehicle. But she can't drive mine. And you know, we, you know, we need, she needs to be able to drive it in case, you know, just in case. She needs to be able to drive it. So what did we do? We're living in Alabama at the time. We drove up to Huntsville and, and I traded it in, not on something I could afford. No, 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 no. I, I traded it in on a brand new, Toyota Camry with BBS wheels and ground effects. Man, talk leather interior. Just like this, just this gray, just beautiful paint job. Just had the spoiler effect on the back of it. It was, in, it was nice. It was awesome. Got the, got the stereo controls, right? This was back in the day when that first came out. It was, man, just beautiful. Awesome. Again, not a great decision for, for a young married couple who, who, who is uh, ju- just together. Right? Just not a great decision when we could have paid the other one off a whole lot faster, a whole lot sooner. But what did we do? We went right back into debt and got that, got that Camry. And I wish I could say that was the last bonehead decision that I've made financially, but it wasn't. And, and, and so here's the deal. We overwhelm ourselves. We're stressed out when we're consumed with needing more. Man, we needed that Camry because, you know, it was only a few thousand dollars more than the used ones, right? I mean, it's got the full warranty on it. Might as well get that for, for a couple thousand more than, than the used one. And so it was, we, were, we stressed ourselves out 
because we were consumed with having that more, needing that better, right? Now, go, go back to the story. Luke chapter 15, verse 13 says, not long after that, not long after he told his dad, give me, give me my inheritance. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country. He decided, it's time to go, man. I can't stay here. I'm, I'm, I'm getting out of here. And so what happens to us in life, we do the same thing. We stress ourselves out when we want everything now. Like this, like this younger son. He wanted it now. Not long after he told his dad, he's like, Dad, I want it, and I want it now. We stress ourselves out by needing it and needing it now. And there's, there's no contentment there. So this is an area a lot of us struggle with. It's impulse. It's that new iPhone 11. When we know that, that the iPhone 11 S or 12 will be coming out this fall. But we can't wait, so we buy it now instead. It's, it, and I want to speak to my own experience in this. Give you some, some of my own experience to some of our young people. I love City Hope because we have some young people who come here, man. I, I love you so, so much. But I want to talk to you high school seniors and, and you, you college, young adults, some of you who are still living in the home, and you can't wait to get out of the house. You're thinking, I can't wait to be on my own. I want to tell you right now that there is a world that awaits you where you can have everything you want right now, but it comes with, with a price. I mean, you can have it all. For a price. And that price is, there's going to be some credit card companies that are on campus on orientation day. And man, they're going to give you $200 if you'll sign up for that credit card today. And before you know it, there's another credit card that says, man, we, we want to help you build your credit. You know, you're going to want to buy some things one day. You've got to have some credit. Before you know it, you've got two or three cards. And, and, and you're in over your head and you can't make the payments. You can't keep up with it. And you're stressed over needing it now, over got to have it now. There's some young marrieds who are watching this morning, and, and you want the kind of house right now that it took decades for your parents to have. Mm, come on. I'm thinking to preach, y'all. I know some parents right now who are saying amen, right? You want the kind of house that your, that your parents have right now. And it took them, it took them a while to get there. You're rushing out to buy all kinds of furniture and dining room suits and bedroom suits. And I'm just telling you today, it's okay for you to have lunch on a card table. Come on. It's okay for you to, to put a couch cover on that hand-me-down sofa. Mm. It's okay for you to buy a, a used lawnmower rather than a new one. I'm guilty. I've been there before. Bought that new one. Had to have that JD, John Deere, right? I had to have it. I've been there. It's okay for you to not have the biggest TV that Best Buy can sell. It's okay, right? It's, can I say it this way? It is okay for you and me to be content. Mm. It's okay for us to not have everything we want right now. Check out Luke chapter 15 verse 13. It says that there, when, when, when he set off for that far land, for that foreign country, there he squandered. Like it, he just threw it all away. He has this inheritance that he had to have so badly and he throws it all away on wild living. Now, I tell you, there, there, we can squander some things in America, can't we? Now, I'm not stepping on anybody's toes. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. But Americans spend $261 billion a year on gambling. Casinos and lotteries. We spend $261 billion a year. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what your crutch is. I don't know what it is that you keep going back to. I don't know what it is. But we all have one. And here's the deal. It stresses us out because, check this out, because we engage in destructive, self-destructive behavior. We get, we get stressed out like, like this young man who goes off to a far, far away country and he squanders everything on self-destructive behavior. We do the same thing. And I don't know what yours is, but we all have something. I'll, I'll let the Holy Spirit talk to you about what, what you're dealing with. But I know for me, 
um, for our family, our money and our finances get out of control when we're eating out too much. I mean, listen, neither me or Annalise like to cook. We just don't. And plus, we got six mouths to feed, right? She can cook, doesn't like to cook. I can't cook. I can do some mean scrambled eggs, but that's, you know, that's about it, right? We just don't like to cook, so it becomes easy. It becomes a, a crutch to say, man, let's just drive through somewhere. Let's go out to eat. But here's the deal. You can buy a whole lot more food for the price of that meal at the grocery store. You, you can feed six or ten people for what you pay at, 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 at the, at the sit-down restaurant. You can go to the grocery store and feed so many more people. And we stress ourselves out by that self-destructive behavior. That's, that's ours. And so we, we, we stress out because we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Now Luke chapter 15 verse 14 says, After that, a- after he had spent everything, all right, he's told his daddy wants his money, He goes to the far off country, squanders his wealth, and after he had spent everything, man, he just goes on a shopping spree. He just just goes all out. He has nothing left. And the problem with that, church, is that most of us are like this young man. Most of us, maybe I shouldn't say that, most of us haven't seen a model, okay, Most of us haven't seen a good model of what margin looks like. You may not spend everything that you have every month, but maybe you haven't seen a good model of what margin looks like. In fact, a lot of churches, most churches, don't have margin. They don't build it into their budgets, and and they operate like this prodigal son where he spent everything. Many churches spend everything. And and I want to say this, I want to celebrate this actually, that we don't claim to know everything. Uh, we, at City Hope, we, we don't claim to know everything. We don't have everything just perfect. But as a church, we take, we take margin pretty serious. Uh, l- let me tell you about this. this. I love this. That from the very beginning, we've decided that as a church, we're, we're not going to spend every dollar that comes in. And I, I think it's good for churches, but I think it's good for families to just decide we're not going to spend everything that comes in. In fact, we have it written into our bylaws that we, we will budget 90% of the previous year's income. Not expenses, the income. And what does that do? That gives us an automatic savings every year going into the next year. And any, any, any financial growth that comes after that, guess what it is? Margin. It's margin. Check this out. I, I love this. In the first quarter of this year, your church has been able to live off of and operate on 74% of what you give. 74% of what you give. That's how we've operated the church. So when the pandemic hit, and when people start losing their jobs, and things look a little bit different nationally for us, we, it, we, we just kept on operating. We didn't have to put pressure on somebody to give because we've had margin in the bank. Come on, that's the way we ought to live our, our own lives as well. We've been able to meet needs and buy groceries and, and fed over 600 people at Chick-fil-A. And we've been able to purchase equipment so that we could stream our church services. We didn't, we didn't have the, the proper things to be able to do that. And now we're able to do it. Why? Because we had margin. Margin. But here's the deal. We're stressed out when we spend everything we have. We get stressed out when we're, we're, we're spending it all. We have nothing to show for it. It stresses us. It stresses us out. So in Luke chapter 15, verse 14. This hits home, y'all. Luke 15, 14 says that there was a severe famine... In the whole country. Can, can, I, can I just say. And there was a pandemic. That swept. The whole country. Mm. And he began. To be in need. See when. We're stressed out when we spend everything we have. And we come to a point. In our lives when. Once in a hundred years. There's a pandemic like this. And now. Now. 
we're in need. So let me say it this way. We're stressed out when, when we are unprepared for tough times. I would say that we're in a tough time right now in our community, in Wichita Falls, in Texas, really around the world. We're in a tough, tough season. We're weathering a storm, right? We're, some of you are stressed because you, you didn't have the margin. You're stressed because you were unprepared. You're stressed because there's more month than you have money. And you're worried and you're concerned. And the Bible says this way. It says that it rains on the just and the unjust. That just means it rains on people who do good and people who do wrong. It rains on the righteous and the evil. Jesus himself said, hey, you're going to have trouble in this world. You're going to have trouble. One of my favorite theologians wrote a book about this. His name is, he's the theologian named Alexander. And he wrote a book called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And I wanted to read this book to you. One of my favorite kids' books. Not really a theologian, by the way, just in case, right? But this is one of my favorite kid books. And it just illustrates that we're all going to have some bad days. Alexander, this little kid, he wakes up and he says, I went to sleep with gum in my mouth. And now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard. And, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running. And I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Come on, somebody has had a bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box. And Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box. But in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. You ever had a bad day like that? Oh, he says, I think I'll move to Australia. I'm gone. I'm getting out of this place. I'm blowing this joint. Well, in the carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window too. And I, I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said if I don't get a seat by the window, I'm going to be car sick. No one even answered. <laughs> I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At school, Miss Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. Some of y'all will get that later. At singing time, she said, I sang too loud. At counting time, she said, I left out 16. Who needs 16, right? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I could tell because Paul said I wasn't his best friend anymore. He said that Philip Parker was his best friend and Albert Moyle was his next best friend and I was only his third best friend. I hope you sit on a tack, I said to Paul. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone, the ice cream part falls on the cone, off the cone and lands in Australia. It's a bad day, y'all. There were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag, and Albert got a Hershey with almonds, and Paul's mother gave him a piece of jelly roll that had little coconut sprinkles on the top. Guess whose mother forgot to put in dessert? <laughs> It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what it was because after school, my mom took us all to the dentist and Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week and I'll fix it, said Dr. Fields. Next week, I said, I'm going to Australia. On the way downstairs, the elevator door closed on my foot. And while we were waiting for my mom to get the car, Anthony made me fall where it was muddy. And, and then when I started crying because of the mud, Nick said I was a crybaby. And, and while I was punching Nick for saying crybaby, my mom came back with the car. She scolded me for being muddy and fighting. I'm just having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And I told everybody and no one even answered. So then we went up to the shoe store to buy some sneakers. Anthony chose white ones with blue stripes. Nick chose red ones with white stripes. I chose blue ones with red stripes. But then the shoe man said, we're all sold out. 
They made me buy plain old white ones, but they can't make me wear them. We, when we picked up my dad at his office, he said I couldn't play with his copying machine, but I forgot. He also said to watch out for the books on his desk, and I was, I was careful as could be except for my elbow. He also said, don't fool around with his phone, but I think I called Australia. My dad said, please don't pick him up anymore. Come on, some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about right now. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were lima beans for dinner, and I hate lima beans. There was kissing on TV, and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain. I had to wear my railroad train pajamas, and I hate my railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow. He said I could keep, and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out, and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not with me. It's been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And my mom says that, that some days are like that. Even in Australia. Oh, come on, y'all. That's a good story. I love it. I love it. See, some, some, some of the tough times you face in life, they're circumstantial. It, like Alexander, there's some things that you can't control, right? Some things that are beyond your ability. They just happen. And you, you can't do anything about it. But then some of the tough times that we face, they're actually brought on by some dumb decisions that we make. Now, I'm not calling you dumb. I'm not calling me dumb. I'm just saying we make some dumb decisions sometimes. And can I just tell you that it doesn't matter where you live, where you work, what you do. It doesn't matter. If you keep making the same dumb decision, decisions, guess what you're going to keep getting? The same results. If you keep doing the same things over and over and over again, you're going to keep getting the same results. And can I say, even in Australia, can we put that back up there? That, that you're going to get that even in Australia. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you do or where you work. You can quit one job and go to the next and make twice as much money. But if you don't change your habits, if you don't change some things about the way you manage money, you're going to keep getting the same results even in Australia. No matter where you go. No matter where you go. So the prodigal, this story of the prodigal son isn't over yet. I want you to know that. We're going to revisit some things. And I want you to see that no matter where you are financially, no matter what you're going through right now, there's some things that you can do. No matter where you find yourself, this next verse from the prodigal son says, you just need to come to your senses. When, when the prodigal son came to his senses, he said, man, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Like he has this wake-up call. Something's going on with him, and he just has this aha moment. This light bulb goes off, and he says, I'm over here starving to death while they have plenty to eat. He comes to his senses. And that's my prayer for you today is that today you would have a wake-up call, that today you would come to your senses. Some of you right now, you're desperate. We're going to call you Desperado. Desperado, why don't you come to your senses? Some of y'all just need to wake up. You wake up, right? You, you, you need to like have a wake-up call, this moment where you come to your senses, you snap out of it, and, and God's going to show up in a powerful way. So here's the good news. Our father has everything we need. Just like the prodigal son says, I'm going to go to my father's house. Because even the hired servants have plenty to eat. Our father in heaven has everything we need. Now, let me change that. He has more than we need. He has more than we need. And he wants to bless you. He wants to take care of you. But there are some biblical principles that you've got to live out. There's some things that you've got to do if you want that blessing, if you want God's covering over you. And I know that we're in the middle of a, a national crisis right now. And like I, I said this earlier, we're, we're not, this is not a giving message. This is a message to help us get out of a black hole. But with every crisis comes an opportunity. With every crisis comes an opportunity. And if we can learn God's promises, if we can learn some principles for our lives right now in the middle of a crisis, just think about where we'll be once this crisis is over. 
if we can manage things well in the middle of this crisis, man, I believe God's going to give us so much more when this is all said and done. The problem, though, is most, most of our stress comes from ignoring God's principles. I'll say that one again. Most of our stress comes from ignoring God's principles. So I want to be a little bold with you this morning. And, and, and I, want to, I want to go somewhere. I won't stay here very long. But, but I know that many of you are beginning to receive that stimulus check. And I, I just want to be bold with you this morning. And, and maybe you feel like you hit the jackpot. Free money, right? Woo! It's probably going to show up on taxes somewhere. So don't consider it free just yet. But can I just be bold enough to say if, if you were in a hole before the stimulus, if it's possible that you'll end up right back there again unless you change some things. Now, I know that's tough. I know that's kind of in your face. But, but I feel like I need to tell you the truth. I need to be bold with you and say, you're, we're going to end up in that same hole if we don't learn some principles that can bring us peace in our lives. We're gonna, so, so I don't want you to go there. I don't, want you, I don't want you stressed out. I want the stress out. I don't want you stressed out. I want the stress out of your life. So I'm going to give you five biblical principles that will bring financial peace to your life, okay? Five biblical principles. And these are principles that, that Annalise and I and the church do our very, very best to live by. And the first one is this. It's obedience. Obedience. Now this is the baseline. This is the starting point. It's where it begins. It's obedience. And yes, I am talking about tithing. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But I, I, I need to tell you that this is where it all begins. It's obedience. Uh, I, I, don't even, I didn't even really want to bring this up. Because of the timing. Because of where we're at in our nation. And the pandemic. I, I didn't want to go there. But you heard me say earlier... We've been able to operate the church on 74% of your giving. So I feel like I can stand here with boldness and I can, I can talk about this because we really don't need you to give. Can I, can I say that? I, I don't need your giving so that we can be okay as a church. This is more for you. This is, this is for you so that you can learn this principle. And... And Annalise and I live by this. The church lives by this. Earlier this week, actually Monday of, of this past week, I checked our bank account. There's a stimulus payment. You know what the first thing I did was? You, you know what the first thing I did? Well, I got on Best Buy and I bought me. No, 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 I didn't do that. First thing I did was I, I gave 10% to the local church. That was the first thing I did. I, I used text to give. I texted it. It was taken care of. You know what the second thing I did was? I went to Best Buy. And I, no, no, no. I didn't do that. Second thing I did was I transferred the rest of it to savings. I, I, I transferred the rest of it to savings. I, but because, why? Why would you do that, Ben? Why don't you have a little bit of fun? Because we're in a pandemic. Because I, I, want, I want to be smart with what the Lord gives us. City Hope Church lives by this principle as well. Uh, every, the first dollar of every... Do, the, the first 10% of every dollar you give here, it, it goes to make a difference in Israel. We're feeding impoverished Jews and Arabs multiple meals a day because of your generosity. Then we're going to plant churches all across America and in Cuba. And we're taking care of orphans in Uganda. And we're making a difference all around the world. And God calls tithing obedience. And he says it's an ordinary principle. In fact, you can see it in the book of Malachi. Some people might call it Malachi. I'm just kidding. They don't. Nobody calls it that. But uh, figured you needed a laugh, right? Malachi three seven says, "Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees." Now, this word "decree" here in another translation is "ordinances." The word "ordinance" just means ordinary principle. It's ordinary for the people of God to do this. That's why God was a little bit upset with them because they had stopped. And he says, you, you haven't been keeping my ordinary principles. He says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. And they said, well, well how should we return to you? How, how are we to return? In verse 10, it says, will a, um, will a mere mortal, 
Will a human being rob God? Yet you rob me. And, but you ask, how do, how do we rob you? God, like, we don't want to rob you. How are we, how are we robbing you? And he says, in, in tithes and in offerings. You haven't, you haven't been bringing that. You're under a curse. Your whole nation is under a curse. Because you're robbing me. It goes on to verse 10 and says that, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse is the local church. It is, is where you call home as a local church. Bring it there that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. Come on. Just, he, he, he gives us permission to test him with, with the tithe and the offering. And he says, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you won't even be able to contain it. You won't be able to store it. And he says, I'll prevent the pest from devouring your crops. I, I don't know if I could do this or not, but I might even say, I'll, pre- I'll prevent the pandemic from overcoming your nation. I, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll prevent the pest from devouring your crops. And the vines will, uh, of your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. In other words, your, your income is going to keep, keep coming. In, in verse 12, then all the nations will say, man, they're blessed. They're blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So, so the, first, the first principle is obedience. That's the first principle. It's where we start. It's the baseline. The second principle is contentment. This is like a dirty word, y'all. This is hard for us in America. When, when everything is all about faster, better, brighter, more, more, now. Like contentment. This, this, is, this is hard because we're an impulsive society. And I'll be transparent with you. Um, several weeks back, we started kind of thinking and in our family, like, man, it would be awesome to have a pool. We just love to have a pool. We, we are an aquatic family. We just love swimming pools. We love water parks. We always have. It's, we just love the water. I've got four boys. They love the water. We, we started thinking, man, it'd be awesome to have a pool. And we made some contacts. We started getting quotes for pools. And the more I thought about it, especially now that we're in this season, this, this pandemic, I began to, to think, maybe this isn't such a good idea right now. Maybe this isn't the right timing. Maybe we don't need to spend money on that right now. We're in a situation where we don't really know what's going to happen. And I'm not trying to put fear in anybody, but I'm just saying, like, maybe, maybe this is just a test of our ability to be content. Can we be okay with not having that pool? Now, that doesn't mean we won't ever have a pool, right? We'd like to have a pool, but... But right now, probably not the best time. I, man, I'd love to have iPhone 11 Pro. Come on, I love technology. I love technology. I love it. But I'll, I'll just settle for the old phone I've got right now. It's perfectly fine. And I just, I don't, I don't need to, I just don't need that right now. So I'll be content with what I have. Crack, screen, and all. Come on, somebody. We can do that. First Timothy 6 says... But godliness with contentment is a great gain. Talk about a great gain. What's a great gain? Contentment. Godliness with just being content. For we brought nothing into this world. You were born naked, and I am so glad they put clothes on you in the coffin when you are gone. Right? Because you can't take anything with you. Job said, naked you come to this world, naked you will leave. I'm glad we don't do that part anymore. Uh, You can't take anything with you. There's, there, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Never happened. But if we have food and clothing, man, we're going to be happy as a lark. we got everything we need. Verse 9 says, those who want to get rich, they fall into temptation. I've been to a few of those seminars. I, 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 I've been to a few of those. Those who want to get rich quick, right? They fall into a temptation and a trap. And into so many foolish and harmful desires. That plunge people into ruin and destruction. Who, who ends up in ruin and destruction? People who fall into the temptation of, of being rich. 
He says, for the love of money. Not money. Money is not evil. Money is, is a neutral object. It is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. See, some people are eager for money. They want more of it. They need more of it. They've got to stockpile it, right? They, they, they've got to they, have their hands on it. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and, and pierced themselves with many griefs. Man, I, I don't want you to end up that way. I don't, I don't want to end up that way. So we're going to walk in obedience. That's the first principle. The second one is contentment. I'm just going to be okay with the house we've got, with the cars we drive, with the things that we have. I'm just going to be content right now more than ever. And then the third thing is, is margin. The third principle is margin. Uh, not margarine. We're not talking about cooking here. We're talking about margin. What is margin? It's, it's the, the difference between what you have and and. And what you can spend, right? It, it's, it's the savings. It's, it's, the, it's the gap that you have from your, your income and expenses. That is margin. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise store up choice food and olive oil. The wise do that. They store things up. But fools gulp theirs down. And they just turn up and, and it's gone. They gulp it down. I, I don't know about you, but I want to be wise. I want to be wise. Can, can I, I want to remind you. It's April, I know. But hey, everybody. Christmas is coming. <laughs> Christmas is coming. Can I ask you, do you have margin? It amazes me that we know Christmas is coming 12 months in advance. We know it's on the way, but we don't prepare for it. And, 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 and I'll tell you, uh, the Murray family, we, we probably spend too much on our kids. That This past year we decided we're going to start doing experiences and trips rather than buying toys and gifts that end up broken or lost or given away or thrown in the trash. But here's, here's a lesson I learned years and years ago. Years ago I got tired of putting all the Christmas gifts on a credit card and then paying it off for the next several months. I got tired of that. So what did we do? We started a Christmas fund at the bank. And every single week, we transfer money to that Christmas savings account. Money that we can't touch unless we want a penalty, right? Now, used to, we would do a, we, we did like $100 a month. And if I were to say to you, who in here, who, who today could, could put $100 a month in a savings account for Christmas? I, I don't know, I think some hands might go up, but if I said, who could put $25 a week in a savings account, I think a lot more hands would go up. 25 bucks, right? Did you know putting $25 a week in an account gives you $100 more at the end of the year than doing $100 a month? $25 a week gives you $1,300 for Christmas versus $100 a month savings right i hope that makes sense to you but but we began to do that and so guess what christmas time rolls around who's not sweating bullets this guy because i i have margin i planned ahead i decided i'm not going to let christmas ruin things for me anymore i'm not going to be so frustrated because i got this massive credit card bill that i got to pay for after all of this is said and done and i realized that none of the toys they got are being played with. Come on, somebody. So, you got a stimulus check. How are you going to create margin with that? <laughs> Pastor Ben, I blew mine the day it came in. I'm telling you what, I went down there and I got me a new rifle. That's what I've done. Proud of you, man. I'm proud of you. But in all seriousness... You're getting this. What are you doing to create margin? I don't want to see you end up in that same position that you were before. In the words of Buddy the Elf, I thought maybe we could make gingerbread houses and eat cookie dough and go ice skating and maybe even hold hands. Smiling's my favorite, right? I just I thought maybe we could do that. So, obedience, principle number one. Um, 
Principle number two, contentment. Principle number three is margin. Number four is generosity. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about giving to the church, okay? Psalm 112 verse 5 says, Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. Good's going to come to those who conduct their affairs with justice. I'm talking about when you go out to eat. I'm talking about when you, when you pull up to get your food curbside right now because you can't eat in the, in the, in the store or in the restaurant. When you, when you get it to go and you leave a Texas-sized tip. Y'all know what a Texas-sized tip is. Everybody outside of Texas knows that everything is bigger in Texas. So we leave Texas-sized tips. We, we take care of somebody. We bless them. We see somebody in need at the gas station. We take care of their gas. Or, or maybe it's uh, buying groceries for somebody. Maybe it's sponsoring one of these 400 international students at Midwestern State. 400 international students who can't go back home because their countries are closed down. And they can't get back home. They need something to eat, y'all. Maybe it's sponsoring one of them and just living a generous lifestyle. Proverbs 11.5 says that a generous person will prosper. And whoever refreshes, whoever refreshes international students at MSU will themselves be refreshed. Who, whoever refreshes somebody else will themselves be refreshed. Listen, generosity is not an action. It is a lifestyle. It's something that you do. It's a characteristic trait. It's a character trait that is birthed inside of us and is developed. It's a lifestyle. Number five, our last one is dependence. This is, this is so, man, this is so important. This is where the prodigal son ends, ends back up. He ends up here. See, uh, Independence is great for a nation, but it's lousy for an individual. We've got to depend on other people. That's why we do small groups. That's why we launched e-groups, so we could depend on some other people. We've got to put our dependence on God because we can't do this without Him. And coming to your senses, coming to your senses, this wake-up call that we're talking about requires us to acknowledge that everything we have belongs to God. Everything we have is His. We don't have anything that He didn't give us. He gave it to us. And so we've got to remember that He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. We've got to remember that we can't do this without Him. That we need Him in our lives. We're dependent on Him. That we're desperate for Him. I'm desperate for Him. And this is exactly what happened to the prodigal son in verse 18. It says, he, he said to himself, I will set out and go back. I'm tired of living this life. I'm tired of not, of not being on a budget. I'm tired of having more month at the end of my money. I'm just tired of this. I'm going to go back to my father. Well, we, we were listening just a little bit ago to, to that song. Run to the father, fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend, so I run to the Father again and again, again and again. Come on. He says, I'm going back to my daddy. Man, I'm going to say to him, Dad, I have sinned. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And I've been doing things my own way. I've been living the way that I want to live. And for those of you who are in a bad place financially right now, I want, you to I want you to make a decision today that you're not going to stay there. Make a decision today that change is coming. And you've got to acknowledge where you've sinned. And I'm not trying to insult you or offend you by, by saying that. But listen, the, the word sin just simply means you missed the mark. Maybe you've been doing things a certain way financially for quite a while and you realize now you've been blowing it. Like you didn't know, but you, you've been missing the mark. You, you have been headed in the wrong direction and, and repenting simply means I'm going to turn and go the other way. I'm, I'm going to go the other direction. 
I'm going to change how I've been living my life. Verse 19 says that I'm no longer, he says, I'm going to go back to my dad. I'm going to tell him I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I'm willing to do whatever, Lord. I'll do whatever I have to do, dad. So he got up and he went to his father. What did he do? He repented. He acknowledged he had he'd been living this way, missing the mark. He repented and he went to his father. The next verse says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with anger. And he said, Here comes that dirty, rotten scoundrel, that worthless piece of crap. You thought I was going to say another word. He says, You. Here comes that worthless guy, that that son of mine who tricked me, that son of mine who left me, that son of mine who took his inheritance and ran with it. No, 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 no. It, it, It doesn't say that at all. It says his father saw him and his father was filled with compassion. His father was, was just overwhelmed with emotion for him and he ran to his son. He, he didn't, oh man, he didn't walk to his son. He didn't send his servants to his son. Tell my son I'll be in my room if he wants to come talk to me. No, no, no. He runs to his son and he throws his arms around his baby boy and just starts weeping, just starts embracing him and kissing him, welcoming him home. And I want to tell you something right now, church. You may feel... Like God is the, the kind of God who's upset and mad and angry and, 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 and He's ready to throw you out. He's ready to kick you out of the house. I, I, I want you to see that in this story. I want you to notice the Father here represents God. And God's not angry. God's not throwing a temper tra- tantrum. He's not throwing a fit. God is standing on the front porch of heaven right now. And His arms are open wide. And, and He's waiting. He's looking for you to come home. He's waiting. He's on the front porch. Can't wait to see you. And as soon as you make a step, He's running to you. The Bible says when you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. When you make a move, man, He is going to come at you with arms open wide. He can't wait to throw His arms around you. He loves you so much. He's, he's in love with you. And so today, I want to ask you this question. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? What's He saying to you? Maybe about the way that you've been Maybe it's your personal finances that you've made some mistakes. You've made some decisions that have put you in a bad place. And, and, and today the Holy Spirit's just saying, hey, there's a better way. Let's work on that better way. And if that's you, if, if you've been in a black hole of financial stress, I want to pray for you right now. I want to lift you up. If that's you, I just want you to hold out your hands right where you are. Let me pray for you th- today. Father, I lift up every one of my friends who are watching this message. We're in church online today. I'm praying for them right now. Those who've, who've been in a black hole financially. Those who've been stressed over, over the decisions that they've made. Those who've been stressed because they wanted something now. They didn't wait. They, 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 wanted, they were consumed with having more. God, I'm praying right now that you would forgive us as a society for allowing that that kind of mindset to rule and reign in our hearts. God, I'm praying right now for my friends who are watching and I'm asking you to strengthen them. I'm asking you to give them boldness and courage and every one of them who who love you so much they want to make right decisions but they don't know how, they don't know what to do. I pray that you'd give them wisdom, give them understanding, give them direction, guide them and lead them, Father. I pray that there's no guilt for the financial stress that they're under but that today they would decide they're not going to stay there anymore. They're not going to live that way anymore. Father, I'm praying for a Holy Spirit's compassion to just fill their hearts, that your power, your presence would fill their hearts and their minds today, Lord. I thank you for that. And for those of you who are, you're joining us today for church and you're far from God. You're like this prodigal son. You've been doing things your own way. You've been living how you want to live. You've been calling the shots. You've been in charge. But today, you know it's time for you to come back to the Father. You know it's time for you to run to the arms of the Father. I want to lead you in a prayer. I want to give you an opportunity to to just ask the Lord to be the Lord of your life. To ask the Father who's standing on the front porch of heaven right now to to take charge of your life. And if you'd say, Ben, I I want to give... 
I want to give Jesus Christ control of my life. I want to give the Father control of my life. I want Him to be my Lord and Savior. I want to lead you in a prayer right now. Okay? Just repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I'm turning from my own ways. I want you to call the shots in my life. I want you to be in charge. Will you give me a fresh start? Will you give me a new beginning? Cleanse me. Make me new. And from this day forward, I will follow you the best that I know how. I am yours and you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's put some heart emojis out there. Let's just celebrate life change for so many people today who are, who are running to the Father. They're coming back to the Father. So proud of you. So proud of you.